This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 27, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Today is the second day of oral argument in challenges brought against the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, the individual mandate, the requirement that Americans carry a minimum amount and quality of health insurance was at issue today. Trevor Burris, a legal associate at the Cato Institute, comments on today's oral argument. The first half of this argument was the Solicitor General uh, making uh, several arguments, one of which is that the uh, healthcare market is different. Uh, as with any Supreme Court argument, he was pretty much on the ropes uh, the entire time, but it seemed like he actually had some trouble uh, making that distinction to the satisfaction of the justices. Well, absolutely. Just like all the arguments in the lower courts, the way in which they sort of try and say that this is business as usual, this is just a different timing mechanism for when you're going to pay for health care. Well, when they start getting pushed on that, and that's, of course, one of the jobs of a judge or a justice is to push you on that, uh, they've never been able to really articulate how it is actually different. And in the Solicitor General's argument today, he was on the ropes. Uh, it was the four conservative justices mostly keep him on the ropes, but he was definitely on the ropes. And Justice Kennedy, uh, for his part, uh, made uh, – something of an assertion, although perhaps within the context of a hypothetical, that uh, the individual mandate, uh, as they've laid it out, does change the relationship substantially between the federal government and the individual. Yes, he did. And that was a very, very telling thing in the early part of the argument. And I think it wasn't a hypothetical. I think that Justice Kennedy has many times uh, articulated the need for there to be a clear limit on federal power. And I think that he absolutely believes that if the federal government is commanding people to purchase health insurance, that fundamentally changes the relationship between the citizen and the federal government. Those people haven't done anything to to deserve that, but hey, it's going to happen anyway. The Solicitor General essentially was arguing that uh, this process, uh, this individual mandate is merely regulating commerce that is already out there. And as support for that, uh, everybody participates in this market, this very broad market called healthcare. Yes, exactly. And some of those, the way the justices pushed back on that were very interesting, I think very telling. Uh, the way that the government makes the argument is just that the kind of healthcare that people are going to consume is the hit by a bus healthcare, which is said numerous times during the argument. And Justice Alito, who uh, is not as sure a thing on this as pe- just merely because we don't have that much information about him. He kept pushing back. He's like, well, this isn't even what the kind of insurance you're requiring. You're requiring all different types of insurance that is not hit by the bus insurance, pediatric care, contraception mandates. Those kind of things are being required and so therefore does that undercut your argument. And at every single moment, the justices showed such a a grasp of the arguments that we've been making, that Randy Barnett's been making for nearly two years now, and the subtle distinctions that are important to point out. Whereas the Solicitor General, he didn't seem to want to make those subtle distinctions. It was a lot of, eh, yeah, well, it's just commerce. Justice Scalia made uh, one of these distinctions uh, following up on my conversation with Randy Barnett and in, in his presentation at the Cato Institute last week, which is the uh, importance of the necessary and proper clause articulating that uh, something that the government does must be both necessary to the acting in in their 
with their within their powers and also proper for the exercise of those powers. And how did he do that? It's very interesting. Uh, it's, he did it exactly the way that Randy Barnett said he would do it. Uh, necessary and proper is not just uh, you know it's it's Abbott and Costello. They're two different people. They don't they, you know they're not the same thing. And so a lot of con, uh, commentators on the left who have been saying that Justice Scalia would have a problem explaining how he couldn't distinguish one of his decisions in the medical marijuana case and uh, not upholding the law here, he very quickly explained that I don't have a problem at all. I mean, not in those explicit words, but he said, there's a proper component to this clause. And in two other cases, one of which I wrote, he didn't say them by name, uh, the New York case and the Prince case, where they ruled that the government cannot mandate and commandeer state governments, Justice Scalia came out and said, well, that was improper. And don't you think it's just as improper to mandate and commandeer uh, individual citizens? And this was really interesting because uh, I imagine Professor Barnett was particularly uh, into this moment of the argument because that's the, the core of his argument in some sense, his paper commandeering the people, that, that just like it prevents the states from being commandeered, it prevents the people from being commandeered. And Justice Leah just said it right there in the courtroom. Now, uh, Paul Clement uh, made uh, part of the argument on behalf of the respondents. What uh, what did he present and, and, and was he peppered with as many difficult questions? He was peppered with difficult questions and the interesting thing is, is that as is often the case, the conservative justices tended to pepper the questions uh, for the Solicitor General and then the liberal justices tended to pepper the – get attack the questions for Paul Clement and uh, Carvin and uh, the attorney on the other, the National Federation of Independent Business. And they were difficult questions but Paul Clement handled it so well, it was astounding. There was one person who said it was the best oral argument that they have ever seen anyone do. And Paul Clement is a very, very good oral arguer. So that's saying a lot about that. It's like saying it was Jimi Hendrix's best solo ever. So he ably was able was to, to make the distinctions that the justices had shown they understand and point out how the counterfactuals and the questions that were being asked by the liberal justices did not – he could easily address those. Justice Scalia made a, a, a short argument about what limits the government power in a, in a certain way. Uh, he said some people could have blue eyes and that would uh, impact or that could be a limit that you place on it, but it's not a principled uh, limit. And it seemed like uh, just the Solicitor General had a little problem uh, explaining that as well. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the whole argument because when I've talked about this, I have pointed out a lot that the point that we need a categorical limit. We need a principled limit that derives from the Constitution. And the limit that the government has set on this, which is the limit that health care is special, is not a limit in the Constitution. And Scalia was all over him immediately and he said, well, you're giving me a limit. So you could say his actual words or something like he – you could say that this only applies to people with blue eyes and that would be a limit on it. But that wouldn't be a principled limit that derives from the Constitution. And that is what we've been saying since the very beginning, which so many people seemed unable to understand. But the court today seemed to understand it pretty well. Trevor Burris is a legal associate at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work and other articles relating to Obamacare at our website, cato.org.